Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. Great to be with you all again. I'm really excited this week because um, I have a great guest on who's actually a really good friend of mine. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to talk to her um, and introduce her, you to her. Her name is Teresa, Teresa Colon. And um, hello, Teresa. Welcome. Hi, James. I'm a little overwhelmed at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, Teresa is a, uh, a writer. Um, she's an author. She is um, a mental health advocate. Uh, she's become a very good friend of mine. In fact, we're working on a new project together, which we will tell you about a bit later on. Um, but today, we're just gonna—I'm just gonna ask Teresa to share her story and what she cares about, and some of her experiences, and pass on some of her wisdom, um, which she has a lot of, even though she doesn't often realise it. Um, if you're putting me on the hook for wisdom, then I think that um, um, I'm, I'm worried that we're overselling the audience at that point. <laughs> Maybe you're underselling yourself, Teresa. Um, so you can tell we know each other quite well already. So, yeah, Teresa, just tell us a bit of your story um, and uh, your journey. Yeah, I guess. Uh, um, wow. OK, that's that's kind of a tall order. So I guess where I'll start is that um, I'm the middle of five girls. And that naturally comes with a lot of inherent issues when you're a middle child. And those issues kind of got complicated by some things that happened with uh, my oldest sister, who, after a difficult life of her own, she died um, when I was 16 and she was 25. And kind of there was um, uh, a six-year time period starting when I was 10 and until her death that was really challenging and very traumatic inside our family. And unbeknownst to any of us during that time period, um, and probably even a little bit before that, Um, bipolar disorder for me was activated. So that made everything that I was going through much more um, dramatic, I think, or probably the, the, the effects or the experiences of it were probably more outsized than possibly called for by the, the challenges that we faced with her. And after her death, she was, I was incredibly close to her and that really, really um, set me up for a lot of additional challenges. And especially with the bipolar disorder and not having any clue that I was going through that and needing to manage it, um, I just led to a lot of challenges in my late teens when I was in the army and I had some additional traumatic experiences and it all just kind of fed on itself until um, I was 28, a single mom to a new baby and barely holding it together. Quite honestly, I, I had to move back in with my parents. And when I finally was on my own again, you know, finances were difficult, which is already tough when you're a single parent. But when you have bipolar disorder and you go manic and I have bipolar too. So I have hypomanic, which means it's a slightly smaller, um, small, slightly smaller manic episode than others may have. Um, you still go through spending sprees. And so I just kind of got used to having eviction notices posted up on my door. I got used to having the water turned off. Um, a couple of times, some people came and borrowed my car without being, without asking. At least that's how I told my daughter when my car was repossessed. I had a lot of financial challenges that were just kind of, you know, everything just kind of perfect stormed its way together. And what came out of some of those experiences was some realizations that I needed to change a lot of what I was doing with and in my life. And right about this time, um, I, I met my now husband 
And he provided me so much safety and security, emotional safety and security, that I was able to really start to pull myself together, even though I still did not have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And that, for me, really entered into um, kind of what I call a fairy tale episode in my life of about six, seven years, where everything was just coming up roses. I had this great man. I was able to get my hands around my money. My career was going well. I was getting promoted. I was making more money. I was transitioning companies with a lot of ease. Things were really just going really solidly for me. And then the fairy tale continued and my husband and I got married and we bought a house and my job continued to promote me. I hit the executive ranks. It was really fantastic. And then what happened was we always had known that my daughter had some challenges, but it just became something that we could no longer say was just a maturity issue with her. And we had to take her in to get a diagnosis. And she was diagnosed with ADHD. And in learning how to treat her, uh, I got a diagnosis. So when when they first started talking to me, they diagnosed me with depression. And it was the first time I'd ever been diagnosed with a something. You know, and um, I was really lucky. I received really, really high quality treatment. I decided not to go on medication when I first got my diagnosis and um, was just doing a lot of classes. So I did uh, four weeks of uh, classes on depression, four weeks of classes on anxiety. I did four weeks of classes on cognitive behavioral therapy, and I did a year of dialectical behavioral therapy, so DBT. And what came Mm -hmm. out of all that was I learned skills to live life in a very different way. And as I learned those skills, I realized that I had kind of hit a plateau in terms of managing my depression. Mm. And as a result, I said, I know I'm doing the work and I'm feeling better, but I'm still not feeling good. So I'd like to try medication at this point. And I went to a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist gave me um, a low dosage of Lexapro, an antidepressant. And what happened over the next four weeks was I had two hypomanic episodes. And for those who aren't familiar with hypomanic episodes, we already talked about spending sprees. In this case, these were very specific and targeted bursts of high and extreme energy. So for the first one, I was sitting in my car doing some reading. And all of a sudden, I just got hit by a wave of energy. Like, it just rolled right through my body, and I could no longer sit in that car anymore. And I got out, and I walked into my kitchen, and we have Sonos speakers, and I put on, like, current hits, like, you know, whatever the current hits station is on Amazon Music. And I blasted that, and... um. And I, in three hours, my kitchen was scrubbed, top to bottom, clean, like gleaming. Like, you know how sometimes you see like on those movies and it goes, Mm. ding, and you've got like the little spark of light off the counter. That is what it looked like. And I sent a message to my therapist going, oh my gosh, I feel like myself again. This is such an amazing experience. And then, you know, I came down off that high. And then, um, and I didn't think anything of it. I just thought that was the antidepressant working. And then about a week later, my husband and I are in church and we're singing because our church opens with um, three songs and we're singing and I'm having this moment. But what happened in this moment was usually if I'm having a moment, I feel very emotional and I feel very 
um, pulled inside myself. And in this case, all I wanted to do was run around and dance around the church. And it was an incredibly strong physical urge. And the only thing that stopped me was saying, this is not the right environment for that. We are not that church. And if I do that, everybody's going to look at me weird and we will never be able to come back to this church again. Mm. And I love this church. Mm. So it, um, it's really hard for me to describe to people how difficult it was for me to make it through that moment. But if you can imagine somebody kind of mentally sitting on their hands while standing up, because I really didn't want to drive draw any attention to myself, it I could no longer worship. I could no longer sing. All I could do was fight this feeling in myself. And it took probably about 10 minutes after the music stopped before the urge finally like dissipated and I could start to calm down again. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was really, it was really intense and um, honestly it was scary. So when I went in to see the psychiatrist after my four weeks were up on Alexapro, he asked me how I was doing. And I said, you know, I felt the depression lift. That's fantastic. He says, Oh yeah, your therapist forwarded on the email you sent him. I said, yeah. And I said, let me tell you about that. And I said, and then I had this one other incident and I don't know if this is related. I don't know if this even has any relevance to the antidepressant or not, but I was throwing it all out there. And I told him about the church thing and about clean the kitchen. And he said, let me ask you a couple questions. And he starts going down through some of these questions. You know, have you ever felt, um, have you ever had like religious insights? Well, okay, I have faith. So yeah, I've had religious insights. Um, have you ever had trouble managing money such as going on spending sprees? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had some of those challenges. Have you ever, um, you know, uh, what were some of the others? Uh, he just started kind of going through the list of things and about halfway through, he looks at me and he goes, so has anybody ever told you you have bipolar disorder? And I, hmm. And I was like, yeah. no. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was a lie because when I was 19, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but I thought that doctor was a quack and just trying to, you know, turn a buck on me because, you know, when you're 19, you're full of wisdom and life experience. So you know, <laughs> these things. And, um, my challenge was actually with the name bipolar disorder. Because if they had told me I had manic depressive disorder, I would have had zero problems accepting it because I had actually done research on manic depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that really describes who I am. But for some reason, bipolar, somehow that image of like a pendulum that swings from one extreme to the next extreme felt really weird to me and very disorienting. And I really, and I rejected the name, um, even while acknowledging that I had the challenges. So I had to really come to terms with the fact that I have to own this new name as part of who I am. And what came out of that was just kind of a lot of things coalesced at once for me. Our church, um, the head pastor's wife has a child who has depression. And so she decided that our church could no longer ignore mental health issues. And she put on a women's seminar. Am I talking too long, James, here? No, not at all. Keep talking. Honestly, this is great. I'm like, I kind of feel like somebody just wound me up and let me go like a little toy doll. Okay. Go for it. Go for it. (laughs) So she decided that she wanted to do a women's ministry workshop on mental health. And she invited two people from the community. And I was one of them to come up and talk about our diagnosis and our experiences. One was with anxiety. This other woman had panic attacks and for me, depression and bipolar disorder, as it turned out. And she invited um, a Christian therapist to come in and actually talk through what these diagnoses are, what this life is really like. 
and treatment options and, and ways that we can help people, the role of medication and the role of learning skills and things like that. So really presenting it from a holistic perspective and not taking the faith out of the healing, but also not taking the healing out of the faith, if that makes any sense. Mm. So it just, from there, things just kind of kept rolling. We decided to start um, um, a small group. I think you would probably call them home groups. Um, of people who live with mental health disorders and want to, you know, walk together, kind of like a little support group. And so we started a small group. We found this curriculum out of this um, ministry in Texas, and it is skills-based and it is faith-based. And as I just kind of started walking through that, I began to feel an urge to tell my story. And um, because there's memoirs out there on bipolar and there's memoirs out there on testimony, but there's nobody who really tells you know, it's like you almost can't be bipolar and Christian at the same time or depressed and Christian at the same time. I think that there's a lot of stigma out there. So I started writing my memoir. And then what happened from there was then I started Wounded Birds Ministry, which is just a ministry that helps people living with mental illnesses find and support and encourage each other. And since I've gotten some amazing treatment and education on this topic that many people don't have access to, it's also my way of sharing and passing along the knowledge that I've learned um, and while acknowledging that everybody's situation is different. And so while I can teach core skills and while I can share core skills, what I love about the group is people can share their experiences and mm. that gives permission to other people to say, this maybe didn't work for me, but at least, you know, um, but I can still take the core idea behind this and I can try something different or, hey, this other person tried this and it worked for them. Let me at least give that a shot. And so that's one of the things I'm really proud of with Wounded Birds Ministry is that I think that it's a supportive and encouraging environment for people to find hope that, um, kind of the rant that I'm on right now is that a diagnosis is not a death sentence. And I think too often we get a diagnosis and we go, well, that's it for me. I'm depressed and I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my life. And the reality is that it's not a death sentence. It's an opportunity. And that truthfully, the people who do the work, and who walk the road back to mental health, not only, I mean, it's, it's, it's an ongoing battle. We're never fully cured of anything. On the other hand, I watch people find their true identity and I watch people de define who they are for the first time in their lives. And I watch them move forward with purpose. And so and I think that is, um, the excitement and the hope behind getting a diagnosis is that it's, it's, it means that mm. you're in a place where finally your life can get better. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to say just yeah to end that. Um, <laughs> that is amazing. Um, that's an amazing story. And I, I didn't know all of that story. I've known you for a while, but I didn't know all of that story. And that is um, very powerful. Um, there's so much in there um, to talk about. Um and I just want to say, actually, about the Wounded Birds Ministry. I'm I'm a member of that community, and um, it is a really, really amazing community which um, supports a lot of people. And um, the work you do there is really, really great. And you know, I want to recommend to people, you know, if you're struggling with mental health issues, um, if you have mental illness, or somebody you know has mental illness. Um, find this community on Facebook and join because um, it's such a great support network and uh, yeah you can just be you and tell your story and it's okay 
Um, and I can tell how much it means to you as well, Teresa. Um, <laughs> I, I get emotional just thinking about it. I mean, this is, this is a mission for me at this point, you know, and, um, you know, what gets left out of that story in the way I tell it sometimes is that I actually step back from my, because of my mental health issues, I actually step back from my career. And I always thought that that was a temporary thing. And now I think that actually it's not a temporary thing. And then, and I may never work for money again. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a devotional that'll be coming out in the next few weeks. Um, and I'm working on a memoir and maybe those things will make some money, but even if it doesn't, you know, this is, this is my mission. And I don't know that I can see myself going back to a traditional, you know, job or work environment. Um, if I thought that that would slow me down or hindering me from, from doing this work with wounded birds and everything else that I have going on, it it, it means that much to me. Yeah. And I can tell, I mean, yeah, knowing you, um, it's just, it it really is. And now tell us a bit about your, writing journey your creative journey and how this has been impacted by your mental illness and and how it's actually impacted your mental illness as well um both yeah because it's a symbiotic relationship quite honestly so i started writing at the age of 10 um and i started i I had already the, the bipolar was already activated within me it probably activated when i was six or seven years old i have very clear memories of dissociative episodes when i was young and that makes me um unusual and a bit of an edge case when it comes to bipolar or at least for what we know of bipolar at this point in time and um when i was in sixth grade you know we were doing a lot of creative writing and my english teacher actually contacted my mom and said she was very concerned because everything i wrote was very dark and I was having depressive episodes at, you know, at, in sixth grade. So at the age of like 11, 12 or so. Um, and she was right to be concerned, although there was no, because there was some suicidal ideation happening in there. And it was a way for me to express and just to kind of, I think, to explore some of those feelings. Um, and I think that it was probably out of a desire to learn how to manage them, although you know, at that age, I couldn't have told you that was a conscious desire. I think that was more of a subconscious kind of thing. And Mm. I continued to write off and on through high school, always wanted to write a book, always wanted to be, you know, a fiction writer. But I also come from um, a family of high achievers and, um, and social climbers. I mean, that's a, my great grandmother actually changed our last name to indicate that we were descended from royalty, my maiden name, to indicate that we were descended from royalty in Germany prior to World War One, and obviously that kind of backfired on the family and ended up leading to some ostracization. But what that tells you is that we had a culture in our family of being societally correct and of appearing correct in society um, in many ways. And as much as my parents, you know, really filtered that out, it still permeated the family culture. And so when that came to me, that meant that becoming an artist, who does that? You know, nobody does that. Nobody who's really serious about being successful in life. Nobody who's really serious about having a good career pursues those artistic pursuits because you're never going to make any money. Too few people make it. And I was, and I really felt discouraged from pursuing those routes. And so as a result, I really pursued a more traditional career path and ended up, um, well, because I'm bipolar, that meant that I jumped a lot from job to job and role to role. And what I found, though, was in every job, there were a couple of things that 
I gravitated to. One was I gravitated toward the people side of the business, which frequently meant that I wound up somehow in the sales department, although not always selling. And it also meant that whenever I got a chance to write, I really enjoyed it. And I um, could talk to any of my former coworkers and they will tell you that I write the longest emails out of anybody they know. Um, cause I can rip out 1500 words in about 45 minutes, usually without an issue on any topic. Um, I just get excited and I go for it. And next thing I know it's there. So when it comes to when I started doing the wounded birth thing and I started writing, or it started with the journaling. When I first got the diagnosis and I started journaling, I was writing eight to 10 pages every day. And what I found was that in that journaling, it was unstructured, which was the first time I'd ever done unstructured writing. And I found that it helped me get the thoughts out of my head that I didn't know were there. So that's when I discovered how much I hate goals and why I hate goals. That's when I discovered that there were things that happened in my teens that I was carrying with me today. That's how I worked out emotions and reactions to situations that were happening, you know, in my relationships with my husband and my daughter and really helped me start to identify triggers and things that I needed to problem solve and recover from. And what I also found was that some of these, especially when I first got started and I was dealing with a lot of different emotions on the table at the same time, was that in the writing, I sometimes even resolved those challenges. Sometimes I even resolved the emotional um, pain that I was experiencing in the writing. And now um, with the memoir, you know, it's a way for me to kind of, and one of the reasons why I enjoy writing the memoir is because now it's an opportunity for me to kind of dive back into those stories and find the other pain that I haven't addressed yet. And to, and if I can write a story without tearing up, then that tells me I really have resolved it and I can share it safely. There's no, um, you know, there's, there's always fear behind sharing something that makes you vulnerable or that's, you know, but there's, there's different levels of fear <laughs> that I have found in the yeah. writing. <laughs> and some of the fear means stop. And some of the fear means, you know, you're, you're doing good and you're sharing something that people need to hear. And so learning to differentiate between that writing has really helped me with that. Um, it, it, and I guess, so, you know, writing has helped me resolve pain. Writing has helped me identify pain. And, um, and it's really driven me to do, to some of my best work. I've, I've never written like this before and, and I love it. That's amazing. That's so amazing. Um, just, yeah, it's, it's like when you've, when you've connected with the truth of who you are and your story and um, what's going on inside of you, that's when you've created your best work. That's yeah. when you feel most fulfilled. That's when you feel most alive in a way. Um, like when you own, it's like it seems like when you've when you've owned kind of the the broken pieces of yourself, the imperfect parts of yourself, that you've actually found the most divine parts of yourself. Um, you know the the creative side, the the writing, the writing that's going out there to help other people, that's making a difference. Um, that kind of divine part of you has come yeah. out, come come through your brokenness, in a way. And what we call we call it brokenness, but I don't. I, I'm always hesitant to say that in relation to mental illness because, especially as somebody who has mental illness themselves, because um, I don't like to say that somebody with mental illness is broken. 
um, all of us are kind of imperfect and um, um, we're all unique but something which could have which could have destroyed you has turned out into uh, turned into something which has um, served so many other people and been a blessing mm. in a way and um, you know through creativity you've kind of found your your healing in a way um, oh, I, I found more than just healing I found purpose that you know, that I think has been the real gift to me out, out of this experience is finding purpose. And, you know, you were talking about brokenness, James, and, um, and I think you're right. I think that there's different types of brokenness. One thing that I know, though, from leading my support groups now and from the Wounded Birds group and from my own story is that I think that a lot of us, though, who live with mental illness often come from families with mental illness kind of peppered throughout them, which means a lot of people have learned poor coping skills. And what that usually means is traumatic experiences that have been passed on and through. And so when you say brokenness, I don't usually think of just, you know, us having, I don't think of being mentally ill as being broken. I think of it as a wiring issue. My, yeah. my brain is not yeah. wired yeah. the way I want it to be wired. But when you say broken, I think trauma. And my life is yes. full of trauma. Yes. And, and I think that a lot of people with mental illness, because of circumstances and because we have this wiring issue, don't respond well, we cause and live our own dra- trauma. You know, that when you say brokenness, that's what I think of. I really think of trauma. And I think that creativity is an amazing way to kind of work our way back through that brokenness and get to a place of healing. Yes, I absolutely agree with everything you just said. Um <laughs> Um, that is absolutely right. You know, our, our brokenness is circumstances, it's trauma, it's things that happen to us, which are mostly out of our control. Yes. Um, things that are either done to us or happen to us um, or around us um, or to people that we love um, that we cannot control uh, generally. And, uh, and they impact us. Um, they have an impact on us. Be and yeah, like you say, mental illness is really a matter of how our brains work. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the science says that. That's it's just a matter of how our brains work, and we don't get to choose how our brains work. We only get to choose how to respond to what our brain is doing. And I've talked about this in other episodes. You know, a lot of this season of um, this podcast has been talking about mental mental illness and mental health mm-hmm. because that's something that's really important. Um, and I think it's important. We talk about it in the context of of faith, of, of, of you know, of our spirituality as well. Because you know, as a Christian, church needs to be a, a safe space for mental illness. Yes. And the church needs to come to terms with mental illness. And um you know, because a lot of churches, especially I know in America, aren't safe spaces for mental illness. And um, and some people struggle with having mental illness and being a Christian, uh, as if the two can't coexist, or as if mental illness is an excuse, or it's a sin, or something like that, because there are probably some Christians who think think that. I don't know how they can think that, but they probably do. Um, yeah. I mean, how has living with mental illness impacted your spiritual journey? Oh, man, that's... How much time do we have? So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's been, you know, one of the interesting things about getting my diagnosis with bipolar disorder, 
that happened roughly. I'm trying to think now that happened about, uh, two years after I was baptized. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, I had grown up in a very Christian house. I'd grown up in a Roman Catholic household and always kind of went and pulled back against the church. I had a lot of ideological differences. And some of that was tied up in my age. And some of that is tied up in the fact that I grew up and was raised in the San Francisco Bay area. So kind of a liberal area to begin with. Um, and by liberal, I mean, left-leaning, not libertarian. Um, and uh, you know, so there were some of those natural kind of conflicts between the culture of the church and what I thought culture should look like. And coming to the church is actually coming into the Christian fold. Um, and now I belong to a non-denominational slash Baptist church. And um, what that took for me was realizing that to be a Christian, all you have to do is follow Christ. It's not about following the priest. It's not about following the Pope. It's not about following, it's not about following the leaders. It's about following the leader, which is Christ. And that allowed me to kind of take away some of the noise that distracted me from faith and prevented me from coming to faith in a, in a whole way. And, Mm. um, that was really important for me. Then as I get the bipolar diagnosis, one of the things about being bipolar is that one of the symptoms is that you have religious insights. And this in people who have extreme versions of bipolar can actually result in people who believe that they are truly prophets. You know, I am God's, I am Jesus Christ come back to this earth, or I am a new prophet from God back on this earth. People who attempt to walk on water or cross busy roads because nothing can hurt them because they are God's prophets. That's a very extreme version of it. But I get this diagnosis. I have this faith that has really carried me up to this moment uh, getting this diagnosis because one of the things that happened um, as part of my baptism was I wondered what's next, what happens next. And in my church, they like to talk a lot about second Corinthians five seventeen, which is a verse that really talks about how, you know, if you are, um, uh, you are, we are new in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. You are a new person in your faith when you make the decision to follow Jesus. So I have my baptism and I'm wondering, who is this new person? Is this the person, you know, you hear these stories about like the, the prison guy who suddenly becomes incredibly reformed, the former drug dealer who's now pulling drug addicts off the streets. Like you hear these stories where people who have just lost, you know, hundred, you know, hundred pounds of weight because they became to faith and all this stuff. And Jesus helped me do it. And so I was trying to figure out who this person was. I started reading back through the Gospels, and I came across Matthew 9.29. And it's the story of Jesus talking with some blind men. And they, he says to them, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And he heals them. He heals their blindness. And that verse just kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. That felt to me like an incredible promise. And it felt to me like an incredible warning. According to your faith, let it be done to you. So I said, what do I really want? What do I really want? I really want healing. The story of from my past of my sister and everything she went through and her passing. And then that I had, I had multiple sexual assaults in my history as well, um, including one particularly nasty one. And um, what do I want? 
I want healing. I want to stop self-sabotaging. I want to, I want to stop these patterns in my life that prevent me from moving forward with purpose and with joy. I don't want to hop back on the merry-go-round where everything is going great. And then all of a sudden everything sucks all over again. So that was my prayer was Lord, please heal me down to my smallest hurt. So now here I am and I have this bipolar diagnosis and I'm looking at this and I'm going, if I'm bipolar and that means that I have religious insights, does that mean this becomes a spiritual crisis? Does that mean that my spiritual insight and my faith are real? Or does that mean that's a chemical reaction inside my brain? Where do I land on this? Mm. And, you know, it becomes a, that's a question that you have. Everybody has to work their way through anyway. But now I've got this whole other layer knowing that I'm chemically wired this way. So I kind of came to this conclusion. First of all, God doesn't make mistakes and I'm not a mistake. And my bipolar is not a mistake. And therefore, I'm designed for faith. God actually designed me to make it easier for me to believe. And it was one of the ways that he designed me for him. He designed me to love him. He designed me to come to him. And he designed me for a purpose. So while having bipolar disorder sucks at times, this is one of the greatest gifts that I can get for it is that it makes it easier for me to believe in him in the dark times. Wow. That is amazing. Wow. That's just, well, I don't know what to say to that. Um, that's really inspiring. Um, really encouraging. And I'm sure, it won't, that, I'm sure it'll be the same for those who are listening as well. Um, yeah, that is really powerful. Thank you, Teresa, for that. Um, so, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about with Teresa is something that we are working on together. Um, yay, and, yes, uh, something it's quite, I'm quite excited about it. Um, it's already started. Um, some of you might have heard about it already. Um, but I have started a second pod, we, we have started a second podcast. Well, it's my second podcast. Um, so I'm going to be continuing to do this podcast every week. Um, but I have a second podcast with Teresa. Yes. Um, and it's called Creating Normal. Um, and it is about um, creativity and yes. mental health and living with yes. creativity, uh, living with mental illness and being a writer and a creative person who is living with mental illness. Um, and the challenges that that's that, that uh, the challenges that we face, and um, the questions that we need to ask ourselves, and how we can become better writers, how we can become better people, how we can manage our mental illness better. Um, and we have a conversation every week, and it's always good fun. Um, <laughs> there's always um, a few laughs on there I have a very distinctive laugh and I apologize for that up front but eh, that's me being who I am <laughs> yeah don't apologize it's a great laugh it's a great laugh um, yeah so you can check that out that's on um, iTunes as well yes um, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher tune in radio right now and hopefully at some point Spotify will get us going too we're working on that yeah um yeah so i just wanted to drop in a quick word about that because i think that's something that might encourage you all it's a slightly different focus to this this show this show is kind of focused on spirituality and creativity and identity and 
our spiritual journey and asking questions of faith. Um, um, creating normally is more focused on creativity and mental illness. So yes. um, two podcasts that I'm on um, with different focuses. Um, so subscribe to both of them. If you're not subscribed to this one yet, why aren't you? Um, subscribe to this one, Parama Podcast. Um, it's on it's on iTunes and Stitcher um, and Podbean, and you can and uh, you and then go subscribe to Create Your Normal while you're there. So um, yeah, and that's out now. It's uh, by the time you know that's uh, the second episode will be dropping um, this week or may have already dropped. Um, we've had two episodes and an intro episode, so you can go and find those. And yeah, I'd recommend that. So, um, and we'll be doing loads more. I'm, you know, yes. it's been great doing this with you, Teresa. <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. Um, I really, really enjoy having these chats with you, James, because it's nice to be able to step back from your daily week and, the kind of the grind of the everyday tasks that we do sometimes. And even when I'm in the midst of my creativity, you know, that's still, I'm not, I'm, I'm in that moment. And what I love about the creating normal podcast is that we pull back and we take a broader view, a broader look at some of these topics, such as procrastination and social media and criticism. And, you know, we look at these, we look at these topics from a more holistic perspective and I really enjoy that because it's just, it reminds me that everything is about perspective and that, um, and, and it's just, it's a reminder to me that I can't, that even, and I'm going to phrase this completely wrong and I wish you could edit this out, but I know it's not going to happen. Um, that it's not, a, even when we're in those little day-to-day things, there's a bigger thing to, and, and when we can pull back and we can pay attention to that bigger thing, often it makes the little things easier to do and to handle. There we go. That's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. No, I, that's great. I, I thank you for going into a bit more detail about what we're talking about. That's great. Um, this has been such a good conversation, and we will have you back on this show as well. Definitely. Um, Anytime. That's, uh, that's just a given. You're going to come back. Um, <laughs> yeah, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, you're going to come back. Um, uh, yeah, so I just want to close the episode, really, with... I'd like you to share the biggest lesson that you've learned from your journey and maybe something that you can share that will give a bit of hope um, and solidarity to people who are maybe struggling with some of the challenges of, of mental illness right now. Um, I think that what I would tell people is... Just because it's happening in your head doesn't mean that it's all in your head. And what I mean by that is that your experiences are valid, are real. Your emotions are valid. Your responses are don't come in a vacuum. Something has something happens to bring those responses and reactions to the surface. And um, just because you've lived that way so far doesn't mean that you have to live that way tomorrow. And I think that faith is a big part of learning how to live a different life, learning how to emulate the steps of Jesus. I also think that there are um, skills that we can learn that help us to start to live a different and more Christ-like life as well. 
And there's no shame in learning those skills and utilizing those skills and in taking advantage of everything that God has provided us, which does include medication. If we really believe that God is the creator of the universe, if we really believe that he has created everything in and around us, then we also believe that he has, that he has created the Lamictal that I take to help me manage my bipolar disorder, that he created the Lexapro that helps people with depression, um, ease their depression. We believe that he's created all those things and there is no shame in taking advantage in any of that. Thank you. That is so awesome. Um, yeah, I should just leave it there, shouldn't I? So thanks for coming on the show, Teresa. Um, thanks everyone for My listening. Um, yeah. Thanks everyone for listening and um, have a great week and catch this, catch my next episode next week. <laughs>